0: Welcome back to The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea private banking. Today we look closer at an architecture firm that may be Norwegian in its origins, but is ranked number one in the world on the super prestigious Baunetz ranking list of architecture firms. From their head office in Oslo, they operate all over the world with a team of 240 people of 32 nationalities. Here is the amazing CEO of Snøhetta, Isabella Alverberg. Welcome to the talk, and so great to have you here.
1: Very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: What is Snøhetta, and what makes it so special?
1: So Snøhetta is a world-renowned architectural and design practice. It's uh, it was founded, and it still is based in Oslo. Um, We do have studios globally, eight studios spanning from Australia to Hong Kong to Paris, Innsbruck, Oslo, of course, and New York and San Francisco. And uh, I would think that most people recognize us from perhaps our first ever project, which was the Library in Alexandria, which we won 30 years ago. Uh, And then probably more recently, the, the Norwegian Opera and Ballet in Oslo. Uh, but also the more recently opened Le Monde headquarters in Paris. People may remember us from uh, the 9/11 memorial in New York or the renovation of Times Square. Um, so I think Sonata is—you know—we're probably most well known for our large cultural buildings, but we do do everything from from smaller landscape projects to uh, product design to graphic design to um, to uh, to smaller, um, you know, master plans.
0: If you're listening to this and you don't have a clue what we're talking about uh, with Snoheta, I strongly encourage you to to head into the website dot sn- snow, com. right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, just head over there while listening just to see all these amazing pieces because it's it's uh it's really remarkable. And also the smaller ones, like the the restaurant that's halfway into the sea. It's literally halfway into the it's sea. It's
1: halfway into the sea. It's called under. Uh, it's kind of like a double entendre. Under in Norwegian is, it can both be a wonder and it can also be something underneath. So it's a, it's a, it's a very fitting name for uh, a now a Michelin star restaurant. Um, I was lucky enough to be there two years ago. Uh, it's it's a fantastic experience. It's like going to the theater underwater.
0: Yeah, to to see it on the website, it's it looks like I a, 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 I don't know a, a box that slid halfway into the <laughs> sea. It's like slanted. It's really cool. Yeah. So if if if, just, if you look at that entire portfolio, it's super impressive, of course, and it's it's also really artful. So how, how do you acquire all these amazing projects, and do you say no to projects that are not exciting enough, or how, how does it work?
1: So uh, being in the, the architectural and design world, you're, um, you know, there's a lot of competitions, uh, especially for public tenders, um, and uh, there the aim is really for us to build a reputation and um, you know just be kind of on the top of minds of, of the developers and of the city councils and governments uh, to ensure that they, you know, would like something from SNET and invite us to these competitions. And, you know, these can be competitions with like the one we won in Alexandria was just an open competition. So, the, you know, there were over a thousand applicants to it. Uh, we try to get in at more, you know, that there are only three or five left um, when we get invited. But it's really it's really based on reputation. And, uh, you know, the stronger brand you have, the more likely you are to get invited to the exciting competitions and the exciting projects so i could just share with you now that uh the top or the most renowned architectural list to be on is the BauNetz list in germany and we just reached number one after 30 years of web working oh, really? hard to get to the top of the list we're there now so that's uh oh, congratulations great work.
0: <laughs> Wow, and and that's a company from Norway.
1: It's a company from Norway, and um, yeah, I think uh, you know we've never really seen ourselves as uh, as being a Norwegian company per se. We have a lot of the Nordic values, uh, and we do you know we do say that some of the Nordic values that may be different from from other uh, countries. You know, uh, the openness, honesty, transparency, uh, very much working together as a team, very flat hierarchy. Uh, that is what propels. Um, you know, our ability to make great designs and, and find strong concepts. Um, and and that's what, you know, somehow attracts us to to clients and customers, um, the fact that we're Nordic. But when they start working with us, I don't think that they think, oh, that's a strange Norwegian company. It's more the fact that everybody working here is so fantastic and creative and, you know, brilliant in their own right. And I think that's really what, what dazzles our clients in the end.
0: Yeah, so if you've become this international company, obviously you come from Nordic roots and, and uh, some people would probably say that there's a Nordic touch to your, de- your designs and, and that kind of thing. But uh, given that you're so international now, is there anything that you think we could do better as Nordic companies that we can learn from, from the world?
1: I think it's hard to, you know, give an exact answer to what that should be. I think, you know, you have to have a really strong idea of what your company, what your uh, service actually is. Um, I think what we have really focused on is, you know, truly being ourselves. Uh, We like to say that Snoheta is our most important project. And so we, we, you know, we really try and stay very true to what our DNA is. You know, like I talked about you know, those words openness, transparency, flat hierarchy, we like to talk about that as social democracy. Um, and, and so I think it's important that we keep those roots as we go global as well and not try to adapt too much to every country we go into. Some, some adaption we have to do, but we have to stay true to, to our roots. So I think, you know, my, um, I guess my recommendation is, you know, very much build a trusted network uh when you go uh, abroad uh definitely be yourself and always 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 deliver on your promises never better than your yeah. last project that i told <laughs> you before
0: <laughs> yeah that's probably a a, a internationally uh, good thing to do I ha- think anywhere so, yeah. right yeah so it's architecture i mean you, you you are venturing into to graphic design and product design as well and and i would like to talk to you about that uh, also but just uh Another question on architecture is it the projects projects that you make. They're so long term; they're going to be there for a long, long time, and and people are going to view them in different historic contexts depending on you know when they do it. Um, how do you how do you look at that from from your point of view? Uh, given that it's such a long term product that you create,
1: well, I think what's important with the snehata projects is the fact that we always try and we work very hard and we work for a long time before we actually start drawing anything, because what we're looking for is the strong concept. And to find a strong concept, you have to think um, about a, a broad range of range of issues. You know, you, you have to look at the typology, you have to look at the, at the weather systems, you have to look at how people uh, move around the place, look at the traffic situation, look at the long-term planning of the city. Um, and and then you kind of hone into what a strong concept should be. And I think one of the um, the driving forces of SNETA has always been based on the Grohallen Brundtland uh, uh, UN Convention around sustainability. So we've always been very focused on environmental sustainability. So that has to be in every design. And then we've always been focused on the social sustainability as well. And if you look, you know, 30 years ago, if you go back to Alexandria, uh, you know, very much the, you know, how would this building fit into the site that we got, which is kind of halfways in the water and halfways up on the land. Uh, but then also the social sustainability. So this was the first time that they would have a library that was open to everybody. It wasn't just for the upper class, but it was actually, you know, providing the world literature for everybody who wanted to enter, So, you know, how do you open up a building um, in maybe a region that was closed before? So we always try and push that boundary. And so if you look at some of our newer projects, you know, you can look at um, the Norwegian ballet and opera where, you know, we built, um, we designed an opera which, you know, previously was viewed upon as, again, very high society, very few people used it uh, and really opened up an opera space where, you know, it's probably the biggest tourist attraction in Norway to date because people use the roof. uh, They feel they own the building. They have concerts outside. uh, They go into the restaurant. um, And so the opera is no longer just something for the few, but it's something that everybody feels ownership for.
0: So amazing that you get to create the world. That's basically what you're doing. It
1: is. It is. uh, It is amazing. And, you know, we have to um you know it's easy for us just to look at the next project and the next project but uh but we do take time for reflection and uh, and think about you know not only how how lucky we are but how privileged we are to be able to shape the world
0: So that that's architecture but you've also ventured into product design and and graphic design and how did that come about and why did you uh, choose to do that
1: so right from the beginning, Snøhetta was a bit on the cutting edge when they thought about architecture and the fact that they always believed that uh, just the design of the building wasn't architecture. You needed to encompass the, the surroundings as well. So architecture and landscape architecture went hand in hand from the beginning. And then it was very close to think that, OK, well, we need to do designs inside the building. So interior architecture. So those three disciplines have been with us for a long time. And then, of course, you know, from interior to product design, it's not a huge leap either. You know, if we design a chair, can we do more mass production of a chair? Or if we design a lamp, can we do more of a mass production of a lamp? So I think what we're looking at is kind of a symbiosis between all these design disciplines, and one of them spins off on the other one. And, you know, one of our core philosophies is what we call transpositioning, where when we're starting in the concept phase, we like to invite lots of different disciplines to the table to start that concept brainstorming. And, you know, we may ask uh, an architect not to think like an architect, but ask him to think like a product designer. And we may ask a product designer not to think like a product designer, but to think like an interior designer. And that way they'll free their minds and won't be so restricted from all they've learned and, and, you know, worked with. Uh, But they may be free to, you know, bend the rules or, you know, to ask questions that that a professional would never ask. And so I think, you know, by blending all these disciplines together, working extremely well together and... and really, trying to extract the best of each discipline into the one project, um, you know I think that's uh that's probably one of our biggest strengths as well
0: and you said that you have people from all different industries and and uh, you have people coming in thinking in another way and all that uh, that goes for you too uh, you <laughs> are not an architect, you come from tech. <laughs> that's uh, what my research says yes
1: well i come from the tech world i'm not a techie per se um, i studied finance uh and then stumbled uh into microsoft uh, by pure luck um and uh was um was was lucky enough again to to have been there for about 15 years and um you know, Microsoft is, a, is an amazing company. Uh, they're great at, the, at spotting talent or nurturing talent. Uh, and everybody who works there is extremely talented. Um, and so I was able to take on quite a few different roles. Uh, and I think that Microsoft also appreciates the fact that generalists uh, make very good leaders, and uh, the fact that I was able to work in sales, work in marketing, um, work in operations, work with products. And, you know, it could be everything from an individual contributor to actually a manager. And uh, then I got a phone call and um, I met the founder, Kjetil Tosen. And, uh, you know, for me, it was a huge shift in my career and what I'd ever done before. So, yeah, you know, I was extremely hesitant. Um, but the more we got to know each other, you know, we didn't really talk about the job. We didn't really talk about Sneta. We talked a lot about, you know, leadership philosophy, what we wanted from from our lives, uh, talked about our kids and our background. So more got to know each other on a personal level. And then after six months, you know, I'd met my executive team, I met the board and other partners and um and then we decided to uh to try this on and it's uh it's been 3 years it's been amazing <laughs> you know my role is definitely not to say what projects we're going to work on or how how the buildings or the designs are going to look like so i i pretty much try to stay out of the way on that my role is very much to build a more sustainable company and so you know my background from a more corporate world uh, and understanding the need for a bit more structure and then finding that right balance between the right corporate structure and having that creative freedom you know that was a, a balancing act to find and and then making some really tough decisions and also managing our risk exposure and building more a portfolio of studios around the world instead of trying to run everything out of Oslo. So within the first year, we opened both our studio in Hong Kong. We uh, doubled our presence in Australia and we opened our studio in Paris.
0: So what inspires you when you look around the world and when you go to work in the morning? What, what do you listen to? Or what, what, where do you pick up your creative energy yourself?
1: So I'm pretty much uh, all eating when it comes to podcasts. I'm a huge podcast fan. So I'll listen to, you know, anybody sends me a link and I'll probably listen to it. I used to enjoy reading books. I find I don't quite have the, uh, the attention span to do it now during COVID. I don't know if something happened there. But uh, yeah, going out for walks, being out in nature, and then, you know, just really talking to uh, our teams and our employees. And, you know, I'm just so inspired by their creativity. I don't know where they, where they get all their creativity from, but that ability to push boundaries every single time. And I think what I really appreciate, you know, we always talk about thinking outside the box, but really, it's not that nobody sees a box even it's just you know we're way out there you know once we start talking we're not even we don't even see a box so i think that really inspires me to do my best every single day because i know that everybody else is you know really pushing the boundary so i need to um i need to step up my game too
0: now that's that's the if you can get inspired by your own people in your own company as i do as well every day that's the best then you that's you you want to go to work you want to meet everybody you want to see what they have on the drawing board that must be amazing for, for you, given all the fantastic projects that you make.
1: Definitely, definitely. So, you know, I really miss, luckily, I was able to visit uh, our studio in Australia before all travel closed down last year. Um, and usually, you know, I'll, I'll spend about 100 and 120 days on the road, uh, just visiting all our studios and, and clients. And that's that's really what inspires me the most i'm i'm not a big fan of traveling per se but actually meeting the the people going out to dinner with them going to building sites you know looking at drawings um and just listening to them you know how they're thinking and uh, you know what their views are that's that's really what keeps me going and uh, and what keeps me awake at night because i worry about them that uh, you know we're not doing the best for them from here and you know especially during covid i was extremely worried about their health and safety and um I'm glad we may potentially be seeing an end to that now.
0: Yeah, somebody said to me that uh, COVID just pushed the world along four years ahead of where we would have been otherwise. Uh, there's probably some truth to that, you know? yeah,
1: I kind of sometimes feel that we 've been like in a rat race, so we 've just been in this hamster wheel and running and running and running faster, and you know we never we never questioned ourselves do I have to make this travel or uh you know can i um can I do this any differently? Do I have to go to the office every day? do I have to sit in traffic every day and I think this has kind of you know pushed our thinking into um a better way of working and a better um way of living uh just a, a small digression, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the women that I mentor, you know, they talk about, Oh, I have to find the right work life balance. And I try to tell them that there is no work and no life. There's, there's, you know, work is life and life is work. It's, uh, it all blends together. And so you need to find out what works best for you. And it may not be a nine to five job and then, you know, your family life, but it could be, you know, two hours in the morning, uh, take the kids to the park and then work four hours in the evening. You know, I think we're all individuals. And I think as long as a company is able to, uh, to cater to uh, a more open way of working and a more flexible way of working, I definitely think that that'll be the future. And I think as managers or as leaders, you know, we just have to, uh, we have to manage ourselves and let go of the control. So I think as well, you know, being a a leader and thinking that you have to be in control every single day, I think that's in the past. Uh, I think you have to, you know, trust your managers and leaders and your people and your teams much more. Uh, And I think with that trust, uh, they'll feel a lot more responsibility to deliver as well. And maybe you'll get different results and better results than if you had been, you know, in 100% control anyway. So... And then for a lot of jobs, you know, things won't change. Um, we still need people to, to work in stores and we still need people, we still need doctors and nurses and dentists and teachers. Um, and so they'll have a much more, that'll be much more as normal. Uh, but then there will be small changes as well. I have to say that I, I pretty much enjoy having uh, doctor visitations digitally rather than having to go to the doctor's office. So, you know, why not continue doing that? Um, so I think a lot of things have shifted quicker because we had to change.
0: We are doing this interview now in the morning. What is on your agenda for the next set of the day?
1: So what I've learned the past year, uh, after being on numerous zoom and team meetings all day, every day during the week is that I need one day a week where I have no meetings. Uh, so besides this meeting that we have now on zoom, uh, I actually have uh, nothing planned for Fridays. So what I'll usually do is I'll look at the big strategic initiatives we have, uh, kind of do a review of the past week. How far did, how far are we able to push those projects? What needs to get done next week? Uh, are we managing the company in the right direction? Um, um, and uh, and then in, at, on the end, at the end of the day I'll usually do a, a phone call to, uh, to my executive team and just check in and see how everyone's doing and then do a bit of mental planning for the next week
0: Now that's an inspiring idea I might just steal that Well thank you so much for coming and sharing the adventures of Snöhetta with us and I'm very much looking forward to seeing your next project
1: Good and uh, I look forward to seeing you in Oslo when we're able to
0: travel again Yes very much looking forward to that Thank you for listening to The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea private banking. I'm Walter Nasslund, and for the rest of this season, I'll be taking you through a total of 12 interviews with the three most interesting entrepreneurs we can think of from the four Nordic countries. And the lineup we have is fantastic. So hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of them. And thanks again. Have a great day.